0: Hello everybody, this is Shane Douglas Keene, and I'm here with my partner Rich Duncan and today we are talking to author Scott Thomas. Uh, He is the author of Kill Creek, which was a very, very popular haunted house novel and he's the author of the forthcoming novel Violet. Uh, If you haven't read him, he's amazing and you need to fix that. Scott, (coughs) how are you?
1: I'm fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me on.
0: Um, it's, a pl- it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, for starters, since we don't really... You're one of the first authors we've talked to. I think we talked to one other that we don't have a whole hell of a lot of knowledge about. Um, so uh, just give us a little quick rundown about who is uh, Scott.
1: Yeah, no, there's... there's uh uh probably i guess i guess there's a reason why you haven't uh you haven't heard i've been i've been doing um kids and family uh television for a few years now um i uh uh work i live in los angeles now i i I, uh work in the entertainment industry and i have a writing partner uh for the tv stuff and and um he and i've uh created and run three shows for disney channel we've just did one for uh netflix um and uh currently have an overall deal at netflix um for kids and family and so but it wasn't really my plan to get into that i i've horror has always been my favorite genre um and since i was practically since i was born and uh when i came out to la i really thought you know, I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. And then of course, the way your career sort of goes, you just, uh, you end up taking jobs and doing things. And, you know, I've had, I've had uh, great success and, and, and a lot of fun doing, um, kids and family stuff and still do it. Um, but yeah, horror has always been, been my favorite thing. I, I grew up in uh, a really small town in, in coffee, uh, in Kansas called Coffeeville. Um, and, uh, right in the Southeast corner of Kansas. and, uh just always loved horror always loved scary stories and uh just started writing stories when i was in in uh, grade school and and then uh never stopped just have done it my whole life and uh then uh kind of had a um a great opportunity a couple years ago two or three years ago when i saw a uh i I somehow just stumbled upon a manuscript competition that um the tracking board was having launchpad was having um and and uh entered had had sort of the manuscript for kill creek just sitting around that i'd written uh about a decade before that or eight or ten years ago uh, before that and had never been able to do anything with it and entered it in this um Manuscript competition and uh, ended up making the top 10. And then that's when Inkshares got involved and and uh, we were off to the races.
0: Inkshares is a kind of an interesting uh, imprint. They have a kind of unique style about how they go about selecting and publishing authors.
1: Yeah, they are. They're very unique. Um, You know, they kind of began uh, as. the the idea was sort of to 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 land somewhere between like basically trying to raise your own money um to publish a book and being a traditional publisher and um the way they did that was they, they really um in addition to sponsoring these contests to try to find new writers they also uh they um You could go. anyone could go on their website and put up like the first 50 pages of your book and then try to try to generate interest in it and try to get um, people to to, uh, uh, sort of uh, pre-sell the book, basically try to get your friends to buy copies ahead of time and all that um, to try to sort of uh, raise money to publish uh, some of these books. But what they start doing as they as they, um, you know, had more and more people coming to the platform, they started finding um, uh, authors and, and projects that they, they were really interested in. They said, you know what, we're just going to grab some of these and we're going to fully publish them. Um, we're going to kind of skip the, the sort of Kickstarter route of it and we're going to fully publish them. And so that Kill Creek ended up being one of those. Um, and uh, they are, they're there's a small publisher out of Oakland, but they're really, really hands-on. Uh, for me, I think the best way to sort of think about them is they're almost like, they're almost like a publisher and a manager. Uh, they, they really work with you from, from the original manuscript or the original concept. And, uh, the editors there are great. And, uh, Adam Gomlin, who is the, the head of Inkshares is fantastic. He and I work very closely together and they really, you know, you, you were, you go through revisions and revisions and notes and conversations to come up with the, the best book possible. And then once the book is done, then they, he, you know, really go out there and, and, and uh, he's in L.A. all the time and, and try to sell the rights to it. So sort of the idea is to take uh, something from concept to screen uh, all through Inkshares.
0: Um, yeah, and it's Adam is a good guy. I've talked to Adam a few times. Um, his energy, his energy kind of, uh, is daunting sometimes.
1: Oh, completely. I I don't know how he does it. I mean, there'll be times when we're just, you know, going through, I'm just burning the candle at both, both ends and, and, and he'll be like, okay, so cool. Uh, so you'll, you'll, um, do a pass on that tonight. Uh, give me, get it to me tomorrow. And I'll be like, I haven't slept in like three days. I'm not doing it tonight. (laughs) And he's like, right, 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 right. right." Like, like, yeah, he's he's just nonstop. It's it's crazy.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I think that energy brings a lot to the table and the guy's got a killer eye. I mean that when Kill Creek was published, that was kind of part of a little group of three that I covered um, with uh, J.F. Dubow and Jamie Dorn's books were published right around the same time.
1: And that's right. Yeah.
0: And it, that's what that those three books taught me, that uh, Ink Shares was a publisher to keep an eye on because they're just rock solid novels, all three of them.
1: Yeah, they, they are. I mean, they're, they're, their books are fantastic. And um, that's uh, God in the Shed and, and um, uh, Devil's Call. and. Um, it, you know, it, I think it's a credit to Adam and to Inkshares with how closely they work with authors and how much they respect authors. It's really, it really is um, really ze- helping you zero in on the story you're telling. And, uh, and then once you have those drafts done, really going scene by scene and character by character and making sure that that everything holds up and they really pressure test everything. And, and uh, you know, just, bring the best out of their authors huh
0: so um i could i can see where part of that would be because uh they it sounds like they kind of make you really comfortable with the yeah definitely process. um yeah
1: because you know i was new to it i i had worked in tv um <clears throat> for you know at that point I, I i moved out to la in in 1998 i was uh pretty much immediately got into assistant jobs and stuff in television and and then really started producing and writing uh you know in in probably 2000 2001 2002 um and then um uh so you know i i'd been working in in television for a while but i'd never written a, i'd never had a book published and it was just a completely new experience for me and um not only did they make it, uh, did Adam make it very comfortable and, and uh, and, um, you know, uh, fruitful, he also, um, just has a way of, of asking the right questions of, um, you know, challenging you in the right way that allows you to make your story better, um, and, and really push yourself. And I, I appreciate that.
0: Um, and their and their final product is always just gorgeous. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, the they they really take pride in every single book. Um. I've been really happy with the cover design and everything. Has has uh, feel, it feels like an event when they come out.
0: Um. That's exactly what I was thinking when I got uh, got in the shed. The final version of that. That was the first final version that they had done that I had seen. And I was blown away by how perfect that book was, you know, yeah. and, and then with kill Creek, the same thing. It's like, wow, these guys just keep, keep, uh, the hits coming, you know?
1: Yeah. I was, I was very happy to join those other books. And, and, um, when, uh, you know, when you get that box of, of the final product, you open it up and there's your books, it's, there's nothing like it. And to have, to also have a cover that you're very happy with and, and, um, you know just so much thought and 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 uh passion has gone into um the design of it that it really uh you know it goes a long way it's funny because there are there, there there are people um you know both kill creek and violet have what they call deckled deckled edges and so the the edges of the pages are not cut they're they're um they're still very rough and um there have been plenty of people on online and in reviews who are like, I love the pages in this book. Like, not the writing. Not, like they, It's not they don't like the writing, or I don't know. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But they love the edges of the pages, and I'll take it.
0: Um, I, I love the pages in it, too, but I love what's inside way more so. And I think every, <laughs> I think pretty much everybody else does, too. I think you're safe there. Well, I
1: appreciate that.
0: Um, and speaking of covers and your books, um, the cover for Violet is so, uh, so appropriate. I mean, it fits that book just so incredibly well.
1: Yeah, that was um, a designer named Lauren Harms. And um, and we had gone, you know, Adam and I talked about a few things. We had tried sort of some some different approaches and uh, and it really just came back to this very simple um, image. Um, you know, the book uh the story is set in a lake town in a small lake town in Kansas and um and it, it you know, it once we sort of hit on the idea of this lone girl standing on, on the edge of a lake and two reflections in the water, uh it we just knew that was it. And then Lauren took it and knocked it out of the park.
0: Yeah, and it's a very a very simple design. But it's like I say, it's perfect, you know, and Kill Creek was kind of that way, too. It wasn't a complex design, but it was a design that was um, just perfectly, perfectly matched to the book that it was paired with, you know.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, they're they're both, uh, you know, sort of try to harken back to sort of the classic ghost stories and haunted and supernatural haunted house stories that, that we all love and that I definitely have been influenced by. And and so I think keeping the covers simple was key. And with Kill Creek it was, you know, it is kind of, it is a ghost story. It's a haunted house story. And um so I love the I love that it's very simple. It's the house. But then we wanted to just do something that's a little off. And so if you look at it, the Finch, the two Finch sisters are just sort of standing on the roof, like kind of off to one side in a place that no one should be on the house. And so we wanted to just sort of do one little thing that, that felt a little bit off.
0: Um, and it was actually, it's kind of funny too that you bring that up because um, not the most memorable thing, but very memorable is the cover I loved the cover going in, but after reading some of the content, especially the, you know, the, the prologue, all of a sudden the score, the cover becomes 10 times more chilling when you look at it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely uh, some history to the house after you, after you read the prologue.
0: Now, um, so tell us about Violet. Give it, give us a little rundown on that book.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, the, the sort of long and short of it is Violet is about, uh, a woman named Chris, uh, when she was 10 years old, her, um, her mother was dying of cancer. And so, um, she, her parents had this lake house, um, that they went to every summer, uh, in Kansas. And, um, so her father decided, well, let's go to the lake house for the summer and we'll spend sort of the last few weeks with, with your mom and, and instead of being in a hospital, you know, hopefully it'll be a, a sort of easier way to say goodbye to her. And so, so they did, but of course that was very, very difficult for Chris at 10 years old. And so, um, she made up an imaginary friend to play with while she was there. Uh, cause she was very sad and very lonely and she made up a friend named Violet. And, um, now Chris is 41 years old and she uh, has an eight year old daughter of her own and they, they now live in Colorado and they experience their own tragedy. Uh, Chris's husband, her daughter, Sadie's father is killed in a car accident. And so Chris kind of has this epiphany and she says, you know, we, I I still have this lake house, uh, in my family. Why don't we go there? And the two of them will go there for the summer and get away from everything, all this sort of sadness in Colorado and, and try to heal. And so they go to this lake house in this little town called Pacington, Kansas. And, um, but you know, uh, as is with these stories, uh, things don't go as planned. And, um, soon Sadie is, uh, seems to be drawn to an imaginary friend in this house, uh, who happens to go by the name of Violet. So that's, that's the the premise. Um, but you know, it is, uh, it, I, I didn't plan for it to be, um, sort of about grief and about what we do to avoid dealing with grief. And, but it just sort of became that as I wrote it. And, um, I, I think part of that is that I, my, my dad died of cancer about, uh, 12 years ago, 11 or 12 years ago. And, you know, when something like that happens, I, I think it's, you don't really know how to process it. I don't think I've ever really understood how to kind of process that loss. And once I started writing about Chris and her loss, uh, her mother dying of cancer, I think a lot of that kind of came out and, um, and the story did end up being in addition to what really is that it's hard to go story. Um, it became a story about grief and it became about what happens if we don't, uh, deal with our grief and, and how does that sort of mutate? How does that become something that if you, if, you, if you find a healthy way to deal with your grief, then it can be very positive and you can move on. But if you don't, if you just push it down and re- repress it and, and try to ignore it, it can actually turn into something that can haunt you for your entire life.
2: Um, Rich, go ahead. Yeah, one, one thing that I really liked about uh, Violet because this is the first one. I always wanted to read Kill Creek, but I haven't gotten to that one. But Shane tells me it's excellent. So when he mentioned Violet, I knew I had to read it. And I, I the one thing that I thought was interesting about it was that, you know, the story begins with, like, the history of this town and the creation of the lake. And all throughout... You know, it's a very character-driven story with Chris and Sadie. But I also like that the house itself and that town, they're major characters in their own right. Like, even the house, you know, we get to know the house very intimately. And I didn't know if that was something by design where you kind of wanted to make the location its own character, or did that just kind of happen naturally? Uh,
1: I think a little bit of both. Uh, I think, um, when, uh, the, especially when you're going to spend so much time with anything, um, in violet, it's, it's actually very contained. It's the lake house, it's the town and it's, you know, Chris and Sadie and there are other townspeople they meet, but those are sort of the town, the, the lake house, the lake itself and, and, um, and Chris and Sadie are kind of, that's who you're with. The most in the book, and as a writer, I I always have to, uh, you know, in some way I have to fall in love with with the location and the characters, and you know, really dig into them if I'm going to spend that much time there. And so I think because it was so contained, um, then the I I found myself digging more and more into it because I wanted to know what it was like. I wanted to know the layout of this house. I wanted to know the history of it. I wanted to know what You know a certain chair in a room would what memory that would trigger for for chris and and uh you know i wanted to know more about this town and and um because i was spending so much time there uh if 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 it was you know kill creek jumps around a little bit more and and with the exception of the finch house um kill creek is kind of all over the place and so a lot of those places I didn't have to dig into as much, but the Finch house was also another place where, where I knew I was spending a lot of time there. So I wanted to know every corner of it. And I wanted to know, really uh, feel like it was lived in. And I think that with, uh, with Violet, that's what I had to do. I really had to live in that house and live in this town with Chris and Sadie.
2: Yeah. And the one thing too, that how, I don't know if this was also intentional or not, but the way that I took it, Was like you said, it's very contained, and sometimes that can be a bit challenging. But I like that the house, how you said it could exploring the memories it triggered, is I thought a lot of those scenes were important because as I read it, I felt like that kind of not inspired, but it kind of like hinted at different elements of the story as they were coming
1: up. Uh, with with the house and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely as as I got into the story and, and and obviously the the house and the um you know everything kind of started to uh you know come alive for me. Um I I di- I did want to I I I guess I perp- I did sort of purposely have these little things and little moments and I wanted everything to be tied together. I mean really for Chris, she's coming back to this house that um that in her mind is a good place. It's a happy place. And one of the it was actually um Adam Gomlin's uh girlfriend who's now a fiance um we we were Adam and I were talking and at first it was going to be that that uh that this place was was a bad place for her. She knew she was kind of going back to a place that that had bad memories. And um, Emma, his his girlfriend, said, why would she go back there? Like, why would she go back if this is a bad place? And we, I was like, well, that makes sense. I'd never really thought about it that way. Um, why would you go back to a haunted house? Why would you go to a, a place if you went, my mom died here, and I have terrible memories, And but we're going to go there for the summer? And so... Then I started, That's when I really started um, thinking of it as the, the sort of how we misremember, how we, how we, yeah, mis, sort of misremember things. How our our minds, because if we haven't really dealt with the reality of something, how our minds twist things to be positive when maybe they weren't. How how they sort of, you know sand off those sharper edges of 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 bad memories so that we can look back on things and not and and move on with our lives and not really feel bad about it and so that's what this house became for her uh she goes back there with sadie thinking this is a good place like this is uh going to be a really good summer i i said goodbye to my mom here and and it was a very positive thing and we're going to do the same thing with you know sadie's dad chris's husband but of course the, those memories aren't correct. They're, they're, she's not remembering them the way they really happened. And the more time she spends there and in the house and in the town, the more she realizes that not only were her memories more painful than she remembers, but something bad is happening here. Something has taken root in this house and this town. And, is, uh, and it, it, that there's a, a sort of a cloud that is, that is hanging over this place. And so because of that, I think I did definitely try to make each, you know, I, I really tried to make everything tie into so if you sort of go back and look through it, there are little moments and little phrases and things from earlier in the story that in some way pay off at the end.
0: Um, th- speaking of I was just sorry, I don't know how that led me to this thought. But you were you'd mentioned the town a couple times there and Pacington to me, is kind of like one of those towns you encounter in horror every now and then that you feel like that's a place that you could return to over and over and mine stories from that place. Uh Uh-huh. It was just a perfectly designed set, you know, and it made me think of guys like Charles Grant and Stephen King and people who have their, you know, ox runs and and castle rocks and whatnot, and it's like, okay, Pacington is kind of like a a Midwestern Castle Rock, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, look, I'm not going to pretend like that isn't uh, um, a huge influence. You know, I grew up reading just devouring Stephen King. I mean, uh, Stephen King is my all time favorite horror author and and probably my all time favorite author. I've read, I've, I've read more Steve books by Stephen King than by any author. Um, and, I, when, when I, I remember I was in like maybe sixth grade and, um, the, uh, librarian at our public library, uh, thought that I would, she knew I was really into horror and because I would always go there. And I would, when I was in the kids section, I would, when I was younger, I would always go straight to the section that had like books on UFOs and ghosts and Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and the Bermuda Triangle and all that. And I would just check out every book I could. And so she knew that I was into this. This kind of thing and and once i got into middle school she she was like i think you'd really like stephen king and that's when i started reading stephen king and i loved the the way that he presented it was these were towns and places you know um, houses and towns and people that aren't necessarily scary Um, they, they are very nice people and they're very friendly. And, uh, this isn't just sending someone into an old, uh, creepy house. This is, you know, it was, there was such a sense of location and a, and a sense of the region and it really came alive for me. And, um, and so when I wrote Kill Creek and I, and I said it in Kansas, um, I just really loved kind of doing that for my own home state and, and uh, creating a little bit of myth from for my home state. And so when I started writing Violet, I, I wanted to kind of do the same thing. And um, Pacington, just even though it's a, a fictitious town, uh, I, I wanted it to feel like you could drive through that area and, uh, and look for signs for Pacington in the same way that if you drive along uh k-10 between lawrence kansas and kansas city you will see an exit for kill creek road um, yeah, I, have,
0: I have a photo of that with you standing next to that sign
1: that's right yeah i yeah i finally i never you know I, I went to i attended the university of kansas um and uh i i graduated from there in 98 and then moved out here and Um, I would always see that sign and that's one of the kind of was one of the inspirations for kill Creek. Um, I would always drive by that sign. It said kill Creek road and there was the exit and it just seemed perfect for a horror movie. It just, the the title kind of jumped out at you. And so I always had that in the back of my head and, but I'd never taken it. I'd never taken that exit. And so when I went back to Lawrence for a book event after kill Creek was published, I, I, um, finally took that exit and uh stopped got a picture with the sign took the exit and really it just leads it's just a road a regular old paved road goes by some country houses very nice houses and then ends up going to a very nice park with a with a reservoir that's it but um but it, you know in in my mind it led to the finch house
2: yeah um, that's kind of cool that you took, in, like, that you wanted to kind of bring this mythology to where you grew up. And as far as Pacington, you definitely captured the realisticness of that town. Like, some of the names, they really stuck out to me, like Dairy Godmother, and Ye Old So-and-So. Like, it was, when I envisioned Pacington, it was kind of like, you know, a picturesque small town. Uh-huh. And I like that throughout, without giving too much of it away, because it kind of ties into her memories almost. Like that's the image I conjured, and that's probably what she had. But you kind of see, as the story goes on, that you know, Paysonton isn't really all that it seems necessarily.
1: Yeah, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot below the surface, and I think. You know what, what you what you find out in the prologue, uh, which won't be spoiling anything, is that Pacington used to be a river town. It was on the Verdigris River, which is actually the river that my hometown of Coffeeville is on. And uh, and then um, the Army Corps of Engineers decided they were going to to build a reservoir there. Um, they were going to dam the river there to to uh, control flooding, and they were going to basically sort of create a reservoir and they started to uh, work on this and, and as they sort of literally broke ground uh, along this river, they accidentally broke into what was essentially a, an, a subterranean lake that they didn't know was there. And it all, all the water came rushing up and, and, and flooded this area and actually flooded a, a street also along the river and, and several houses. And, um, and so, that once I had written that, I wrote that prologue, and I didn't really expect that. It was kind of something that as I just wrote about this town.
0: Hey, Rich, are you there?
1: Yeah, I'm here.
0: I think Sorry. we lost Oh, there you are.
1: Oh, you got me? Yeah, yeah, we
0: lost you for a second, or I did.
1: Okay. Sorry about that. No problem. It, yeah, it might be just the, the amazing Bluetooth uh, connection. Um, <laughs> yeah
0: it happens as part of the game.
1: Absolutely. But with, with, uh, so with, with um, sort of after I'd written that prologue, I knew that with, with Chris's memories, with everything that's going on in this the town, that a lot of this story the, the, was going to be about things coming up to the surface. And uh, so that is a lot of, of what happens with the town of Pasington. There's a lot of secrets there. There's a lot of pain that you don't see when you first, Arrive, And I wanted it to seem kind of quaint and charming uh, because that's, you know, that's like my hometown. My hometown is, is has those sort of cute names to stores and the small town that my mom lives in, Colorado, has the same thing. Um, and so it was really fun to kind of create that that environment.
0: And that lake was a that was a, for me, that was a masterstroke because the lake is uh, well, not outright horrifying it's creepy as hell yeah. yeah and possibly made more so because like here in Oregon we have a have a place called Detroit Lake which is actually a reservoir and um, when they when they filled the reservoir when they built the dam they actually flooded the original town of Detroit so it's under that it's under that reservoir
1: and you yeah. can
0: see part of it sometimes and it's creepy as hell
1: oh so, yeah so well, you, they, I, no go
0: ahead i was just gonna say so so your lake you know when you started describing <laughs> things that i won't talk about here because i don't want to spoil anything um it's like my skin crawled from my toes all the way up to the top of my head you know because it was so familiar to me
1: yeah well i think we all we have heard stories like that you know of of, of places that were you know uh Rivers that were dammed and, and they had to flood old parts of town or entire towns, move everybody out. And, you know, it, and there's just something awful about that. This idea that these th- these places that are supposed to be so warm and welcoming to us and places of sh- they're, they are, you know, they're shelter. They are the, one of the, the 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 necessities of life um are now submerged under there and not only that but their homes and homes are filled with memories and they they are filled with you know our knickknacks and our our photographs and our furniture that we love and our you know rooms where wonderful things you know both wonderful and terrible parts of our lives happened and to think that all of that is just under the water i think is is very disturbing um but it, it so when 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 I sort of when that that happened in the prologue to Pacington uh, with this accidental lake and then the, the road that where, you know, a few houses were submerged, it really did. It was kind of one of those moments when when you're riding and you go, OK, I know what this is like. I don't know exactly the beats of the story yet, but I know the story I'm telling.
0: Uh, yeah, because you you kind of found your setting there.
1: Yeah, and, and and sort of thematically, what was going to happen with everyone and and with this town.
0: Yeah, kind of metaphorically, like you said, everything things coming to the surface. That kind of goes for physical things coming to the surface, and also for things in the people in your story. So, yeah. Anyway, Definitely. I, I'm rambling. Not no, it, <laughs> no, no. It,
2: it's interesting you mentioned that because that's kind of. Between that and that's even like what I was hinting about with the house, you know, as as kind of like a, a representation of the themes that were going through the story. And, you know, one of the things, too, that I really liked about this story was that it was contained to Sadie and Chris. But I also thought it was kind of cool how the story, you know, they kind of mirror each other almost like when Chris grew up there you know she suffered a loss there and Sadie she's coming to that house after the loss and I thought that was kind of cool how they were following kind of kind of like parallel paths but um yeah I just I thought that was really a cool touch to kind of see how it was almost like they had parallel paths and also the way that you incorporated when she got there, like past memories without having to do like a flashback.
1: Yeah, no, I think that it, it, um, definitely once I knew that, that she was sort of returning to this place where this, this had happened for her, there are definitely, um, you know, there's, there's sort of, uh, Uh, I I, I knew that that a lot of this was going to be parallel to to what she had experienced, what Sadie was going through. And then there's also kind of that that sense, because Chris remembers it as a good thing and remembers it as a positive summer where she was sort of able to uh, heal. She wants that same thing for Sadie. And uh, it's it's like when you're you know, when you're a parent and you've, you've experienced something, whether it's good or bad, you want your kids to to if it was good, you want them to experience the same thing. It's no different than going to an amusement park that you loved when you were a kid and you take your, your kids there and you go, Oh my God, you have to love this as much as I do. Or you sit them down and you, and you show them Goonies and you're like, you have to love Goonies as much as I did. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what she's doing with Sadie. Um, and I also knew that that we're with, because I was sort of, this is also kind of, kind of a story of a double, you know, it, it is about Chris, when she was a kid, she made up an imaginary friend named Violet who was also her age and who was her friend and didn't look exactly like her, but was a bit of a double for her. And, and, and so I knew that there was going to be a lot of um, parallels between stories and characters and, and uh, some of that sort of double imagery that goes into stories like this. And, um, and so I really just embraced that.
0: Yeah. Cause you kind of took like, I was thinking of it as kind of a, like a game of pairs you know because you had like the pair of chris and violet and you have the pair that's chris and sadie who is very much like chris um and then you have the pair that is sadie and violet you know and it's kind of like just those repetitions are interesting to me
1: yeah uh and and i think to you know to sort of what i was what i was talking about earlier it is um it was if if Chris remembers it this way, that it went a certain way, then how is it going to go for Sadie? You know, and and, um, and to me, I think that's that's also there's something kind of inherently scary about, about that, uh, about that idea that that um, we as parents sort of try to mold our kids into something, you know, and, and I think either uh, a lot of parents try to mold them into the exact same thing that, that they are. Uh, I think I've always been very conscious of that and I've tried, you know, my best to with my kids to, to let them, you know, let them be their own people and try not to sort of put my own crazy on them, even though it happens, you just can't help it. Um, and so with, with Chris and Sadie, um, she wants, you know, she wants, uh, she sort of wants Sadie, she's almost forcing Sadie to experience this this healing that she remembers experiencing but then when sadie starts to it seems like like she is aware of a of an imaginary friend named violet that that's i think when when you start to go oh crap maybe i don't want her to experience everything that i did you know but there is there is something here that maybe is uh is not good and so it really did become like you said two stories it's sort of the story of Chris and Violet and Sadie and Violet yeah
0: yeah and um and that's the thing you talk about okay uh, you start to think that something is definitely not right here um and like i think about the the initial approach to the house and that was kind of a horror move, movie moment cuz you know you're thinking okay i mean think about this or do you really want to stay here there's another nice house down the road you know <laughs> yeah
1: well that's always, and that's always the hardest thing isn't it it's it, you know i mean kill creek was uh you know a challenge in itself they knew they were going to a haunted house so at least at least they knew it they had agreed to do it um there are things that happen in that book that that i think hopefully feel like a little bit of a twist on that and and uh you know, kind of halfway through the book, something happens that I think a lot of people weren't expecting. Um, and, it, you know, because there is always that, that it's just become sort of a cliche and a joke where where you go, why don't you just leave? You know, um, like something bad is here. We all know something bad's here. Go stay in a different house. With That's why I think it became very important to, for me anyway, to root Violet the story in emotion and in, in, in mo- more in Chris's character and the emotion and the, the, the feelings between Chris and Sadie and sort of the guilt that Chris feels and the responsibility that Chris feels than in the supernatural. And uh, uh, even though obviously there's, there is a supernatural story here and it is a horror story um, for her to go through this, I needed an emotional reason why, why she, um, and without, I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't, but it, in, uh, you know, there is a reason why she ultimately just can't leave. Um, she can't just run away again and leave this all behind. And it's, and it's her responsibility. She, she realizes she has a responsibility here.
0: Right. Right. And, and that's an interesting thing too, is that, talking about the emotion makes me think about uh, the fact this is a, a lot quieter of a story for you, at least at at the onset, you know? Um, But for somehow it, it doesn't drag at all, you know, it keeps you engaged. And I think it's that humanity and that emotion that you're talking about Um, as you're building your set and building your pieces and developing your characters. It's like I say, it's a bit quiet, but it just, engages you because you really 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 care about the people because you imbued them with so much uh reality i guess you would say
1: yeah Yeah, thank you i i definitely that was the the intention i knew that you know kill creek was a plottier book um i had more points of view to jump around to i had people in all you know kind of different parts of the country coming together i knew that with the exception of the Finch house, they were going to kind of be all over the place in different locations that the plot was sort of driving a lot of that. And I knew that with Violet, the, the it's not as plotty. And, um, and so a lot more was, I, I, I knew that I had to get really into Chris's head and, and, um, and really live with her and, and, um, get to know her and, that, that emotion was the thing that was going to drive, you know, hopefully the intention was that that, that emotion is, is what's going to drive the story um, more than the plot at, at times.
0: Uh, yeah. And you, uh, you vicious son of a bitch, a couple times you <laughs> made my eyes water really badly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I once, I, you know, oh, yeah. there, there was one moment with somebody in the town that was just, it just eviscerated me
1: yeah (laughs) well i can't i i'm gonna admit that that makes me happy um yeah i I, it was you know that's good i'm glad i there were definitely there were there were a few moments where i was writing things in this book and i was like you know i would text adam admitting shares whatever and i'm like people are really gonna be pissed off at me right now like you know (laughs) like like This this is the thing that when you when you're watching a movie or whatever, you go, oh, don't do that. And then they do it. And it's just awful. Um, But, you know, it it did. It hopefully did. It was it all came out of of not trying to be not trying to sort of exploit those moments, but but make those very, very sort of harsh realities um, that that Chris is having to face.
0: And in the end, extremely, extremely important events to the overall story. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting to Shane's point, too, how he was saying about, um, like, knowing these characters. It's a very psychological story. And, too, focusing on those relationships when those moments come up, it makes them that much more terrifying. Like, there's some scenes that are kind of, you know, what you may expect with a story of this type like maybe this house is haunted but then there's like other moments where they might seem small but because we understand the grief and stuff when they start popping up it's it's just very unsettling and i thought that was i thought that was great that it wasn't necessarily even though it has like a haunted feel it's not necessarily uh, rooted in those sorts of, you know, what you might expect from that type of story.
1: Yeah, well, I think you know, those are those are the kinds of ghost stories that I love. I, I, the kind of haunted house stories are ones that 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 uh, that really take their time. They're slow burns. They really just like build up the atmosphere and and the sense of place and the characters. Um, and and it's because then the littlest thing can be disturbing. You know, it's, you're not always just trying to top yourself. If you, if you have something too big happen too early, then you're just trying to top yourself the whole time. And with, especially with Violet, I did want it to unfold, um, a little bit at a time. And, uh, you know, I think of like a book, like, um, the house next door. Um, and, uh, you know, where like, just a like, a few lines of of description, the fact that a TV would be on and it would be playing something that didn't seem like it was something that would be broadcast then, or, you know, that, um, you know, someone like there'd be someone at a party and they, they would look in a room and it, and it would just, for one moment, there would kind of, there'd be someone at the party that just felt a little off. I I think that, that, um, those are the things that I really wanted to kind of create a, a sense of the uncanny, uh, with this house and with this town and that there's just something not right and um, that it's not necessarily going to be a huge explosive haunted house story um, even in the way that Kill Creek kind of ends up being. It, it was going to be that there's just something wrong here and that that wrong thing can't be ignored anymore. That that in the same way that that trying to run from your past or trying to run from grief or, or things that haunt you will ultimately sort of, you know, you'll have to eventually face those things and they'll be tougher um, because you've put them off for so long. I wanted this to be one of those stories that that just slowly gets more and more off, that there's just something wrong until finally you're putting all the pieces together and it can't be ignored anymore. And you have to face that horror.
2: Yeah, I think you did a great job with that, because kind of how you described it for the characters, I'm pretty sure Shane would agree. Like, that's how I felt reading it, because, you know. definitely. Even growing up, like, I've lived in places where I thought, you know, they might be haunted or something weird was going on, and... Like this story, how you said those gradual buildups, I felt like it added some realism to it. Like, you know, you're not always going to be in a situation where, you know, like stuff just starts like levitating all over the place or whatever. It might be something, you know, that is just weird and makes you uncomfortable.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, there's a book and I'm probably going to get the title wrong because I, I, it's called Your House, is on, Your House is on Fire, Your Children All Gone. Have you read that?
0: I recognize that title.
1: It, it's a yeah. it's um, it's a it's a it's kind of a collection of short stories. Uh, it's these little vignettes in this town. But and you eventually sort of realize that something is very wrong with this, that there is a his, there is a dark history to this this place. But but there's just ju- like there are there are there's there's very it's very rooted in, in reality um, for the most part and there's there are scenes where there are there are chapters where the some of the kids are just doing terrible things and you know which could happen anywhere but you get a sense that it's because of something in the past that something bad has happened here and people are not, are being they're they're muted they're they're being infected by this evil and that's why they're doing these bad things and to me that's way scarier than the idea of things floating around and, and, you know, uh, being flung across a room. It's the idea that maybe sometimes we could live in a place that's just a little, that has a little more darkness, a little more shadow than, than everywhere else. And because of that, we could do things that we never, never thought we could do, you know, that, that people around us could just snap or that, um, you know, that, that we could even, commit things that we never thought we, we would, uh, you know, be capable of. And it's because of, we are being manipulated by this area or this, this, this energy that is happening here. That is, that sort of taken root here. And I think that's, um, you know, to an extent with Kill Creek and definitely with Violet, what I, I really wanted to sort of embrace that idea of, you know, in, in, in Pet Cemetery of the sour ground, you know, um, that, that there's just something bad here.
0: Yeah, and you get that sense, like, everywhere she goes. It's kind of like she goes, you know, the people of Pacington are really, really super nice people, super cool people, but you sense that they're being evasive, you know, and um, you sense that there's there's sort of a facade uh, that some of them are putting up, and that adds to that, that overall darkness.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, there, there's there's definitely a lot more below the surface that, uh, and I, I, I had fun with that. I mean, I, I you know there, it's always fun to have a weird waitress or something or somebody just like that's a little so just off, you know, to kind of uh, uh, give give people the sense that things aren't necessarily going to turn out well here. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, and, and you pulled that you pulled that off with uh, flying colors, really. Oh, thanks. Um, sorry, I lost my thought here. No, well, that's cool. I was gonna ask you, um, if you think it's if uh you visited your own uh author page on Amazon.
1: Uh, n- not recently.
0: Well, I find it interesting. I think if it was me, I would just like faint when I saw this. That. When you visit an author page, um, you get that section down below the author's photo and bio where it says customers also buy items by. And in your case now, um, the people that pop up are Stephen King and Riley Sager and Paul Tremblay and Joe Hill and Grady Hendrix. And I would just faint if I saw that. Yeah. (laughs) Associated with my name, you know.
1: Well, I mean, you know, and, and yeah, it's incredibly humbling and it's, it's the dream, you know, I mean, I think with, uh, especially with genre stuff, I, I think, you know, uh, I, I've just, like I said, I've always loved horror and these are sort of past and present, the, the biggest names, um, you know, I uh, am actually going to do a panel in um, October in Salem, Massachusetts with Paul Tremblay. Um, I've never met him, but I really look forward to that. Uh, and, uh, Josh Mallerman gave me a very nice, um, he read Violet and gave me a very nice blurb for the the finished cover. And, you know, these are people, these are people who are, are just amazing writers and, and are, are creating some of, honestly have created horror classics and are creating horror classics. And, um, and to, to think that even on, you know, an Amazon author page that I could be somehow uh, in the same, uh, you know, company uh, is incredibly, incredibly thrilling. It's it, it's, you know, all I've ever wanted.
0: I can see. Yeah, I'd, I would certainly die happy in that situation.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's fantastic.
0: Um, and I, I think you'll love Paul. I, I haven't met him in person, but I've interacted with him a lot, and he's a hell of a
1: nice guy. I've heard. I've heard he's fantastic. I've heard he's very nice. And that's
0: a, oh, go ahead, you. Rich. No, go ahead. I had. I was just babbling.
2: <laughs> no, I was going to say it's interesting that he uh, mentioned Josh. Um, We had him on earlier. And uh, one of the things we talked about with him was, you know, Bird Box was his first novel, but it wasn't necessarily the first one he wrote. He had written a couple prior. And I was just curious. I know you said you had written Kill Creek like a decade prior to putting it in the competition. I was just curious if that was like the first time you wrote a novel or did you have, you know, a bunch of different stories or novels that you had tried out
1: first? Um, well, I had, uh, I, like I said, I'd been writing short stories my whole life. And, and, um, so I, I definitely written a lot of those, um, you know, just growing up, just n- nothing that I would want to show anyone at this point. But, uh, but that was always sort of what I, what I went in grade school in middle school and high school and college, what kind of what I tried my hand at, um, when I, got into middle school and high school, I started really trying to write uh, feature screenplays. I, I really wanted to figure out that, that medium and, and that kind of writing. And so then I started writing things like that and, and, uh, and, and in college. And then in, in, um, in, once I moved out to LA, um, I had never tried to write a novel, but when I moved out, um, to LA I just I had this idea and I went all right I'm just gonna sit down and do it you know I have some time in the evening I didn't have a wife and kids like I do now and 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 you know so much more responsibility sort of once you get off work and so I I did write a book um that that I'll never do anything with because it was just an attempt to see if I could do it and um and then and I did and I you know felt pretty good about it it's it's not anything that I, like I said, it was more an experiment than anything. But then after that, I, that's when I, I got the idea for Kill Creek and then I decided to write Kill Creek. And because I had sort of already written this other book, then I felt really confident that I could do that. Um, and it's, a, uh, it's definitely daunting, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you start writing and then you, you're just staring down a very, very long road, but it's also really exciting. It's, it's, uh, it's, there's so much more freedom to just kind of, you know, drift around the story and really figure it out and really figure out who these characters are and what these places are.
2: Yeah. And that what's interesting is I think you're probably the first writer that we've spoken with that has also, written in a different sort of medium with, you know, writing screenplays and stuff for TV and stuff like that. And I was just curious, you know, I know they're kind of separate animals, but is there anything that you take from writing for, you know, the screen and that you apply to your, you know, your written works, like your books
1: and stuff? Um, I think, uh, I mean, I, I, I would say dialogue, I would say that the, the, um, it's definitely helped me because screenplays are so obviously dialogue driven. Then, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing a book, hopefully it feels like real dialogue in it. And, and, I, I try to sort of have that same rhythm of people really talking to each other. And, and like I would, if I were writing a screenplay, um, it's, uh, but, with with sort of no matter what i'm writing um i kind of have the same approach uh it's i i just i always want to know exactly who these people are and and what the and, and sort of what the location is but also what at least in a general sense thematically what i'm writing you know um i think that like i said when i when i i had an idea for what i wanted violet to be about but when i really wrote that prologue and a lot of things sort of came out of of, of the ether there, then I, um, I suddenly knew, okay, I know exactly thematically what this, what this, uh, what this book is. And there'll be moments where I go off the rails or I go off in a direction I shouldn't have. But as long as I'm sort of following that theme and letting everything, letting that drive how people are, are acting and what they're hiding or what they're showing, um, then I'll be okay. And, I sort of try to do that with, with everything. Um, But I think that really the the biggest place where those two things uh, overlap is with dialogue.
0: Um, Yeah. And I think that's, you know, to me personally, um, with any really good story, especially um, a novel, if it's dialogue driven, I always feel like that's the right way to do it, you know? Yeah. And I
1: think that with with, um, you know, not to say that because there, there is a lot of there there's there's a lot of, uh, you know, descriptive moments in Violet and in Kill Creek. And um, and that's really fun uh, because I, I did, that's that's one of the sort of I think when you when you write screenplays, you write for TV or movies um, sort of every day and, and that's your day job when you can finally sit down and just kind of go, okay, I don't have to be really brief here. I don't have to just make this bare bones because, you know, um, I can just, I can really explore. And that's, that's what almost makes writing a book feel like recess sometimes because you, you just go, okay, now, now I get to, now I get to totally just wander around, you know, when are like, When I was growing up, my favorite computer games and video games and stuff were always ones where you just sort of wandered around and you just kind of were able to wander around environments. And uh, and that's the kind of the beauty of writing a book.
2: Yeah. And I'm kind of the same way Um, also with like books, you know, that's why I liked Violet so much is, you know, even though it was a lot of contained to the house. You know you got a sense of this place in different areas within that town but that's even why i like books like uh stephen king's under the dome like some people don't like those longer works but i like that you could get lost in that in that place with your own imagination and i feel like you get a lot of that with violet too
1: yeah thank you i i you know i'm reading um harvest home right now Good which book. uh yeah, I've never read it. And I had it and um, and on my shelf. And finally, it's like, I have to read this. You know, I love the other. And um, and it, it has the same feel. I mean, there's there's so much, you know, it's a 400 page book. Um, and by, you know, by 250 pages in some little things have happened, but nothing huge. But there's such a sense, such a rich sense of place and character and the townspeople and that there's, you know, that you know that there's something that they're all hiding. And so um, it's I'm the same way. I love I love kind of being dropped into a place and feeling like I'm there and 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 that the that the author is sort of allowing me to live there Um, and then. Because I think then, then you start to own it a little bit. I think you start to feel when things start to go wrong, you go, wait, no, this can't happen in my town. This is my town, you know? And, and, uh, the more that you sort of give the reader ownership of that place and, and invite them in, then when things start to go wrong, I think it almost becomes personal in a great way.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, like you say, like Harvest Home and the other in those books, um, The reason they work so well, even though nothing really happens, like you say, for a good portion of the first part of the book. um, He's a master of the show. Don't tell rule. Yeah. And that really and it feels like what and I wrote this down when I was reading Violet. um, It felt to me like uh, you put yourself in the place and that's why you're able to say, hey, I'm over here. Come on over here. Come on in. You know, does that make any sense at all?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I did. I, I really, you know, like I said, I, I, uh, if I'm going to spend that much time there, then I, 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 want to to put myself there. I want to feel like like I'm living there. And um, I have a hard time writing in a way that just sort of skims over things. And I, and and that, that's not to everyone's taste. I I totally get it, but. I personally have to live in those moments. I need to know it sort of every nook and cranny. And, um, and because then I feel like I, it is, I, I, then I sort of feel like I'm, this is my place and now I'm welcoming the, the reader in. And I want them to come in here and I want them to see all of this and feel the same sense of almost like they're coming home to a place they've never been before.
0: Um. Yeah, and I think I think he pulled that off pretty pretty successfully. Um, oh, thank you. I think of your writing, and I think of guys like Andrew Piper and Peter Straub, and not a guy, but uh, Shirley Jackson, and people like that. And they they kind of do that too, or did that in one of their cases. And that's you know explore every nook and cranny, but make you want to explore it with them.
1: Yeah. And those are all authors that, that have been huge inspirations to me. Um, I think, you know, and that's like I said, uh, you know, I, I, I uh, especially with ghost stories and haunted house stories, I, I I try to write the kinds of stories that I'd want to read.
2: Yeah, I think that's an interesting approach because. I I forget who said it and maybe it wasn't any particular person, but they say like when you write something, you know, to write something that, you know, grabs you first and foremost. So I think doing that, like that definitely shows through like your passion for those types of stories even comes through in these books.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it goes with that. It goes for anything. I mean, when, when we go out and we pitch shows, um, if we don't, if we go in, if we have a huge meeting set and we're really excited about the meeting, but the idea we're like, God, I don't know. I don't, you know, this, like, I don't really believe in this, in this idea. I'd rather cancel the meeting and until we have something that we're super passionate about because people are going to know, you know, if if we go in there and we pitch something, the pitch is going to be bad if you don't believe in it. And it's, and it's the same for writing a story. I think if you don't really believe in it, if you don't want to write it, then why would you expect anyone to read it?
2: Yeah, exactly. And I was just curious too. Like I said, um, I'm I'm newer to your work than Shane, but is there? I, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but what sort of horror do you gravitate towards the most? Maybe style or even just subject matter.
1: Um, I mean. I, I would say i probably gravitate more toward, I mean, I, I would say probably kind of slow burn, creepy, unnerving, uh, you know, supernatural stories, I think. But, um, well, I guess in general, I love, a, I love a, I love a, a book or a, a horror movie that just takes its time getting under your skin. I love it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be supernatural. Um, it's just that, that 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 sense that's that there's this building dread I, I actually really enjoy that feeling of building dread until it's it's unbearable um, but I, I also um, you know I grew up in the, I was born in the 70s I grew up in the 80s I grew up watching all these fantastic 80s horror movies and you know very few of them were subtle at that point so so I, I love slasher movies i love really intense you know really gory really violent movies and um but but i i think it, it, there just always has to be some something to whether either it's just fun as shit and that's why you you like it or it's um or it's something like martyrs where there's just like you're you're being told an incredible story even though it's it's insanely violent uh, by the end of it, you feel like you've actually, like, witnessed the 2001 of horror movies, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah that, was a, that was a great film. And the reason I asked that question is because earlier, like, I related to a lot of what you were saying, like, when you mentioned how you were checking out, like, the UFO books and, you know, all those creature books and stuff. Like, that was totally me. When I was younger, too, that's how I started gravitating towards horror. So that's why I was curious your answer, because I definitely related a lot to that.
1: Yeah, I that's just who I was. That's the kid I was. I think if when I when if you saw pictures of all of my birthday cakes growing up, they were always of haunted house and ghosts. They were I I never had like superheroes on my cakes or anything. I think maybe one time I had dinosaurs, but every other time growing up. I had on my birthday cakes, I would ask to have ghosts or haunted house or something. Um, Halloween was always my favorite time of year. And those were just the, the books I loved um, and the stories I loved hearing. I, I, you know, when, when you love a genre like we all do, um, there's just something fun about, about being told a campfire story. There's something, there's something fun about sitting there in, in, in the dark and, the person you know the person telling it you can trust them you're safe but there's just that feeling that maybe just outside the light of the campfire there's something lurking and you know in the back of your head it's irrational it's it's there is nothing there but it makes your skin crawl and it's exciting and it's just this thing that we keep chasing our whole life and some people hate it You know, I mean, I've talked to plenty of people who are like, I can't watch horror movies. I can't read horror because I hate that feeling. And uh, for me, life is scary enough. There's enough anxiety every day and there's no closure. And a great horror story gives you that closure and lets you confront that fear and lets you confront those monsters in a safe, um, contained way that is like a, a roller coaster ride. And then you get to. Turn off the, you know, walk out of the theater or turn off the TV or close the book and it's done. And it's it's uh, just an experience That I think um, if we love this genre, you're always you're always after.
0: Yeah. And you kind of I mean, you test. It sounds like we're probably of an age because I I was born in the 70s and lived through the glorious fucking 80s. (laughs) Um, You know, as far as I mean, a lot of the 80s, a lot of aspects of the 80s weren't glorious, but horror was. Um, Yeah,
1: there were fantastic movies and and books that came out.
0: And I think that, you know, really, you spoke to that point when you talked about there's enough strife in society, you know, and this is a good way to kind of face it and process it and deal with it. Um, But I kind of like my wife thinks I'm crazy sometimes because something viciously violent can be happening in a movie and I can be sitting there laughing at it. Yeah, Yeah. well,
1: I think, and I think that's the reaction. I mean, you know, I think it's, it's honestly, I don't think it's any different. I think it's a natural reaction is what I was trying to say. I I think it's no different than um, when you, when you're, when you're like, you see someone fall down and just totally eat shit. Sometimes your first reaction is to laugh. You know, it's terrible. You shouldn't, but you just, it's that feeling of like, I think both something extreme happening. And you just kind of have this release, but also that sort of the feeling of like, holy shit, that could have been me, you know, or like that's that's just the, the fact just just the idea that at any moment, life can throw you a curveball and life and, and, you know, can can totally just flatten you. We, we have this constant, I think, in the back of our heads, we always have this constant anxiety about that. So then when something happens, it actually is kind of a you laugh because it's a release. You know, and and I think that w- movies then take it to an even sort of safer level to react that way, because and books, because you know that's not real. You know, I mean, you're you're watching a movie, and if someone's just getting destroyed and getting their face beaten in, sometimes you do just find it funny because you're like, holy fuck, this is so extreme. I can't believe, and I can't believe someone is showing this to me. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, when yeah. I when I. When, when I went with a couple of really good friends of mine, and we saw um, uh, Midsummer, and there are moments in Midsummer where, like, off you 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 are forced to see awful things, just bloody awful things. And I like turned to them, and I was and I was laughing, and they were laughing, and I was like, "We're fucked up, right?" But but it, we're not. It's just we're we're basically going, "Oh my god!" At the end of the day, we're just sacks of meat. And that could be me. And there's and if you're you're either laughing about it or or you're you know just need to take a lot of antidepressants because just um, fucking
0: horrified, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Because there's got to be an outlet. There's got to be an outlet for it, you know. And I there, think horror is a great outlet.
0: I kind I kind of think yeah, what you said about midsummer made me think about um the movie Terrifier. Um, which I haven't makes- seen
1: it yet. Uh, it I've makes heard, you, yeah I've heard a lot
0: it makes you see some brutal brutal yeah. fucking things <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I won't say what they are because you haven't seen it but um, there are some pretty uh, hardcore things that both Rich and I kind of questioned our own uh, yeah, our own sanity because of <laughs> some of the shit it's like why did I laugh at that what's wrong no, with yeah. me you
1: know? <laughs> no definitely and I, I think there's you know I, I think that that Never goes away, you always sort of go, "God, am I really messed up? and then you just have to realize everybody's messed up, and this is just their our own way of being messed up. There's nothing wrong with it,
2: <laughs> exactly, especially like uh some of the eighties films, even like uh Shane and myself we've been watching a lot of them lately. But, like, it's almost like they kind of prime you for that. Like, I think the other week we watched Slumber Party Massacre. I don't know if uh-huh. you've ever
1: seen that one. Oh, definitely. I've seen it multiple but times,
2: yeah. <laughs> I, I remember watching it and, like, you know, there's some violent stuff in there. But, like, some of the ways they approach it, you're just like, what? Like, it's so oh, outrageous. Yeah. You have no you have no choice but to laugh because it's just so over the top and, you know, crazy.
1: Yeah, well, I remember when when I was when I was a kid and my because I had two older brothers and so my oldest brother is six years older than me and he was he would definitely rent a lot of movies that I wasn't supposed to be watching but um so that's how I first saw Nightmare on Elm Street when I was probably like nine or ten and I shouldn't have seen it yet and um you know a lot of these movies and we rented at that point you know then then I started to realize oh he can rent these you know like he can be my my sort of access to my these partner. horror movies and so you know i I'd tell him what to rent and so i remember we were watching texas chainsaw master part two the toby hooper um movie from the 80s and there's this part where uh somebody is it's it's they're going through um i think it's uh, dennis hopper actually and he he is sort of track he's tracked the you know chainsaw family down to um to this sort of abandoned like i think it's like an abandoned a, a amusement park or something and he's walking through and he kicks this wall in and just all of these guts pour out just just all this just intestines and just guts come pouring out of this wall and i remember being a kid and seeing that and i just was like i just started laughing hysterically and walked out of the room and i was like i can't believe that i that it, it, at that point in my life it was the grossest thing i'd ever seen it was uh, great it's,
0: it's still one of the grossest things i've ever seen yeah um, it's
1: fantastic
0: they they do a good job with that in those those first two chainsaw movies of really grossing you the hell out but making you love it while they're doing it
1: oh absolutely and i think that's part of uh, it it's also i think being in the hands of you know you're in the hands of someone who is you know incredibly competent in what, and and confident in, in what they're doing and that goes a long way it's it, there are plenty of movies that I, that i'll watch that or i'll start to watch and and you just know it's just bullshit you just know that this is just gross to be gross and and you're not into it and, you know, it doesn't get any kind of reaction from you except for boredom. But when, you know, you're talking about someone like Toby Hooper, you're talking about, you know, um, it's, you know, you know that you are in the hands of the master. And so when you're when you're seeing this stuff, there's a thrill to it. You know, oh, there's yeah. excitement but, To it.
0: Speaking of that guy, I just that's I just watched uh, just binged all four of the hatchet movies recently. Oh, yeah. I had never seen those before, but I was actually quite quite amused by them.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah. They're they're definitely a fun throwback to to just like over the top um, kind of 80s slasher.
0: Exactly. Um, And that's the thing, too. Something you mentioned was, you know, when I said, you know, God, am I really messed up? And you said, yeah, we're kind of all really messed up. And I think that's what makes characters in a story work, too, is that if you've got if you've got characters that are just white bread, abnormally normal, um, that's just going to bore the fuck out of your readers. But if you have a cast of characters that's just just as fucked up as real people, you know, then then the story sells well.
1: Yeah, I I think so. I I would absolutely um, agree with that. I think that's you know, with Kill Creek and Violet, that's definitely what I've tried to do is, um, is, is go, what are, what are the, the sort of past traumas or the hangups or the sort of um, secrets that, that these characters are keeping that are kind of messing them up, you know, that are keeping them from moving forward. And um, because I also think that is also that, that, that's, that's the beauty of a horror movie as well is you are, you're not a, a, a hero, you know, um, a sort of half god hero coming in to fight a monster. You are a flawed human and you have your own hang ups and things that have fucked you up. And then you're going to have to face this darkness. And I think if that, if, if someone is already struggling with that darkness, it's much more interesting. It's what makes The Exorcist such an amazing book and movie is that you have. Um, you know uh the i can't remember his name now but the, the the younger priest um who is you know dealing with the death of his mother and the guilt and sort of this idea of does he really believe that she's somewhere is he losing faith and and then he's gonna have to face satan you know or face bazuzu face this demon and um That, to me, is, you know, I I think we all agree uh, that's a much more interesting person to see uh, go up against that. And with especially with Violet, yeah, I definitely tried to do that.
0: Yeah, and and you definitely pulled it off, too. No question.
2: Yeah, I I agree, especially with uh, Chris. You know, it seems like right from the outset, almost, she's faced with, you know, like pain after pain after pain. And, you know, all of us have gone through moments like that. So you definitely relate to her right from the outset of that. And, like, you know, there's even feelings of, you know, with some of the events, like feelings of insecurity. And the one thing that I thought was cool is, you know, the psychological aspects where, you know, she had, I don't want to spoil it, but just different aspects of her own personality
1: yeah, that was definitely something that um, I have to give Adam credit for sort of getting me to to explore more and to and to kind of define because it was happening in the in the book. But the more we talked about it, the more I realized kind of what each sort of specific voice she's hearing is and and you know that she, we all have these sort of not, not necessarily literal voices that speak in our heads, but I think we do know ourselves well enough, hopefully that we, we know like, you know, we have these doubts. We know these moments that are going to trigger us and are going to make us sort of feel like uncomfortable or, or, you know, we go to a party and I definitely like have this voice in the back of my head where I go, I, you know, I'll go to a party and I'll go, Hey, everyone here hates you. And there's no reason to think that but that's just what my brain wants me to think and so um, so i think with with chris it became a little more literal and and that she does have these sort of these very specific voices that that, that know exactly how to needle her and how to dig at her and, and a lot of it's coming from those insecurities those things that she hasn't ever really dealt with um, but, they,
0: but they play really well into the overall theme too
1: yeah uh, yeah, and I think that's that's one of the reasons that they become very they become much more um, much more literal in Violet than they would in in anything else. In is because you know thematically they do play into that story, and and uh, you know the idea that m- maybe Violet is a one is is sort of one of these voices as well.
0: Right, and that's exactly what I was thinking. Is it's kind of like she you've already shown in a way even though early on you haven't actually shown um but in the uh manifestation of Violet as her as her uh imaginary friend you see her her capability for manifesting these voices as a more kind of real entity than what the average person is going to
1: hear yeah and and so she, she there is a sense that that Um, Because I didn't want to explain everything. I I definitely didn't want to. I I like a little bit of ambiguity, um, especially in horror stories. Um, But there is a sense that Chris maybe is a little more imaginative and lives a little more in her head than most people. And that, you know, she does sort of have almost these other characters that she sort of created um, in her mind, which, which could possibly have something to do with Violet.
0: Right. And, and I mean, you speak of ambiguity and I, I agree. It's, I think it's hugely important in most, most horror stories. Um, and you'd have, you, you play with that in different parts of that whole, the whole overall story, even with side characters and things like that. It's like, um, the house next door. There's a lot of shit going on there that I won't even touch on, but um, you build a lot yeah. of ambiguity there. And in, and in some ways with some of the stuff I'm thinking of in the town and in, on the lake and stuff like that, um, you walk away with that ambiguity still hanging out there. And that's important to the story, I think where you're going, well, was that, you know, this or was it that? Um, yeah.
1: And I, th- I think that, That, you know, it probably goes back to the idea that, you know, it is this is a story about imaginary friends. So it is right. It is right off the bat about sort of reality versus fantasy. And um, and uh, so there are sort of moments where you go, you know, is it really as weird as it seemed or is Chris imagining it or is this just something that, you know, Um, a movie like, um, it follows does a really good job of that. Um, uh, or especially in the first half of the movie where you go, uh, you know, and also hereditary where someone might look across the street and there's just someone looking at them and anyone else would just go, oh, I just met a stranger's, I, 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 we, we met eyes and it doesn't mean anything, but in the context of this, and especially because these characters have something hanging over them and something haunting them, they, then they go, do I have, is, does that person, is that person making a connection to me, does that mean something? And I think that, you know, what Chris realizes is, for the most part, there is a lot of, of, Thing, there are a lot of things going on in the town and in the house and around the lake and with people around there. And there is a mystery to uncover, but there are also moments that I think are in, they're sort of in Chris's head. They're kind of her guilt and her grief and her, you know, everything that's weighing on her is making her see sort of some connections or sort of some moments that, that, you know, are presented as strange, but maybe, aren't you know yeah, maybe there isn't yeah. anything supernatural going on there it's like it, if she looks across the lake and she sees uh, someone uh, uh, at the cabin across the lake standing out on their deck staring back normally you you know and she waves and they don't wave back you might just go oh well that person's just an asshole and they don't want to wave at me but for her because she has all this other stuff that she's bringing with her when that keeps happening day after day she starts to go what do you want from me because mm-hmm. everything all these things are sort of forcing her to turn inward and, and, and she's feeling the press pressure of ultimately having faced the thing she's been running from.
0: And yeah. And that's the interesting thing about her is that, um, at right from the onset, she's reacting in a multitude of different ways to single situations, you know, like where she's feeling massive grief, but she's also feeling a sense of anger and betrayal. And, you know, I mean, so it's kind of like, uh, She's, she's perfectly primed for that kind of almost social paranoia that we all experience in situations like that, you know, that, yeah, definitely. Person, that person across the street, just staring at you, is he a dick or is he Texas Chainsaw Massacre ma- material, you know? Yeah. Uh,
1: or is he looking at something <laughs> else, you know, <laughs> is, is, is it not even, does it have Is it, you know, am I just arrogant? And I think it has something to do with me. It's, it's um yeah, yeah. she's definitely, she's, she's, she's like you said, she's definitely, she's primed for that kind of reaction from pretty much everything.
0: So rich, you there?
2: Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting. Some of the movies you mentioned, like there's one that it definitely reminded me of, but I'm worried if I say what it was that it might spoil it. So I won't, but it, I'll just say that it was a pretty, a pretty popular movie. But uh, it kind of dealt with the same themes of, you know, the same psychological themes. But um, since you have written for the screen before, I was just curious, you know, if you if you had to adapt, you know, either book, would you do you have like any dream cast that you would want to star in them? I'll I'll say Violet since that's the most recent one.
1: Um. Yeah. I, I think. Um. You know, sometimes when you first start writing something, it does help to kind of have like a a face in mind. Even though, as you, the more you write it, the more you start to get to know the character. That the character becomes someone else. They become their own people, and and they're not really these people. But sometimes, especially on a first draft, I, I find it helps to maybe have, you know, not for everyone, but maybe have an actor or an actress or type in mind and. Um, I think when I was writing Violet, I definitely, there were moments where I had people like Carrie Russell and Jessica Chastain and Amy Adams in my head. Um, and, uh, for, for Chris sort of, um, you know, who would, these incredible actresses who, who have played, um, uh, you know, the characters who, who are struggling with, with, uh, trauma and and you know things that they're not really emotional um trauma that they're not really facing um it's funny when i when i and then when i was writing uh hitch who is the guy who owns the bookstore in violet for some reason i always had jeff goldblum in my head like that's
2: that's perfect
1: (laughs) i i I just like i just i just kept picturing jeff goldblum in like the craziest sort of jeff goldblum glasses (laughs) you know (laughs) Like just just back there happy that you've come into his bookstore and um and so he was he would be amazing. That's perfect. Uh, it is perfect. Yeah.
2: As soon as you said that, because you know, it's interesting, like you said, even as a writer, as a reader, I kinda do the same thing, like based off of the descriptions in there, like I kinda conjure people that I'm already familiar with, you know, like from mm-hmm. TV. And as soon as you said Jeff Goldblum for Hitch, I was like, that's perfect. Because (laughs) even in like, you know, a more, I guess, personal setting, like he did an interview on Hot Ones, this interview show where they eat hot chicken wings. And even Uh then, he just kind of he kind of has that like oddball, like, you know, sensibility that I instantly as soon as you said that, I was like, yes, that's who he reminded
1: me of. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, it was definitely, and you know, like I said, as, as you, as they start writing and as you write and you kind of let these characters live a a little more, they don't, they're not really those, those people you maybe initially have in your head, but, um, but no, he would be, yeah, he would be amazing.
0: So, uh, two ultimate questions for, um, Scott Thomas fans, which I know there are a lot of in our circles and, um, well, yeah, for, th- for them and for f- potential future fans is, uh, one, uh, when does the book come out? And um, I believe that's uh, September 24th. Is that correct?
1: It is. Yeah. So September 24th, it will be all over the place. Um, Excellent. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I saw it today. It's a real thing. Um, It
1: is. I finally got some copies of it. And that's very exciting. Um, I I I definitely have proof that it exists.
0: And then uh, the uh, other question is, uh, what are you writing for me right now, Scott?
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, I have, um, you know, we we, um, uh, sold Kill Creek to Showtime as a series. Um, So that's still in development that. Uh, I I did a couple passes at the script and uh, Scott Derrickson is attached to direct um, the pilot. And so uh, his writing partner is also um, uh, working on the script for that. And then um, I have uh, another thing that is, that I don't think I can say anything about yet, but hopefully we'll soon. Um, But it's funny. uh, I just had, dinner with Adam from Inchers, um, two nights ago. And he asked me the same thing. He was like, okay, what's next? Like, what's the next book? And I was like, well, here's like four ideas. And I threw out, you know, all these ideas. And then there's one that we keep going back to. And, um, it's very, very different. It's, it's, it's also, uh, you know, it's, it's a different, it's very different from Violet. Uh, I, I don't want to say anything about it yet because it's not t- completely formed in my head, but, um, but it would be another, another book that hopefully uh, I could write fairly quickly. Um, and it's a little more grounded. It's a little more realistic. Um, it's not a ghost story, but it's something that just I keep going back to. And if I can really figure out all the beats to it, then I'll be ready to, to sit down and start rocking on that.
0: Yeah, it kind of sounds like it's kind of dwelling in you right now and, and uh, fermenting.
1: It is. I want to I want to make sure that I, I don't like to sit down and start writing and until I really at least feel comfortable about knowing the kind of signposts along the way. And there's a, just a, a couple more to figure out. But um, but every day I keep sort of going back to it and thinking about it and it, and it becomes a little clearer. Um. And I think that will probably be the next thing. Uh, so a couple, a couple uh, projects for for the screen and a and a new book um, that's percolating.
0: Excellent, excellent news to me. Um, Rich, you got anything to follow up with before we let this guy get on with his Saturday night?
2: Only that uh, I definitely am going to have to keep an eye out for the Kill Creek show because I got to get show time.
0: Uh, as yeah. Soon as that, Yeah. As soon as that <laughs> drops, I'm getting showtime.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I hope I hope it does. You know, uh, you know, working in, in TV and film um, for as long as I have, you definitely get cynical and, and things go away so so quickly that you find yourself not really being able to you don't allow yourself to get excited about things anymore, which kind of sucks. But um, but this is there's some really cool things happening with it. And I hope that uh, eventually it becomes a reality.
0: Well, um, excellent. I hope it becomes a reality. I'm I'm fingers crossed and uh, confidence installed tentatively. Nice. (laughs) Um, Thank you. But uh, I'm looking forward to the next book. I'm looking forward to the show. And uh, we hope to talk to you again real soon.
1: Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Uh, I had a great time, man. You're easy to talk to and uh, you're full of a lot of intelligent information. I hope so. So so, uh, thanks a lot, man. I guess we'll let you go then.
1: Awesome. Thanks. See you later. All
0: right. Take it easy. Uh...